mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, today's guest is Sergeant Noah Galloway, a Birmingham, Alabama native. He is the personification of valor and resilience. This Purple Heart was awarded as a double amputee, decided to join the military as a result of September 11 attacks. However, his battles didn't end in the field when he was forced to adapt to a life with only two limbs after an IED attack during Operation Iraqi Freedom, which would take his left leg above the knee and his left arm above the elbow. Noah's incredible journey to mental and physical wellness is one that he shares in his memoir titled Living With No Excuses, The Remarkable Rebirth of an American Soldier. Those words, no excuses, became Noah's mantra as he rose out of a post-trauma depression via his reinvigorating passion for fitness. His victories at what one would expect him to see as impossible competition and obstacle races would find Noah gaining a national spotlight. He became the first veteran and amputee to be featured on the cover of Men's Health magazine, earning their ultimate guy title in 2014 and landing him on the Ellen show. Noah also became a finalist on the hit ABC show Dancing with the Stars and would win the debut season of Fox's American Grit. As a result of an honorable position he gained with a national platform, Noah wanted to give back, so he launched the No Excuses Charitable Fund, which raises money and awareness for organizations that support causes, which mean the most to Noah. Now, as a fitness enthusiast and motivational sought-after public speaker, Noah shares his story to encourage audiences and his fans to embrace the No Excuses lifestyle on their way to an enhanced mental and physical wellness. Guys, Noah is a ball, and I mean a ball of freaking energy, and I had such a blast with him on this episode. So much fun, hilarious human being, and at the end of the day, if you think that you have excuses uh, to not do what you should be doing, to not be who you want to be, well, Noah's here to show you that those excuses don't fly. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. I honestly, truly have, I don't know if I've laughed as much as I did on this show. So it was absolute blast with Noah. I hope you guys enjoy it and I'll see you guys around the corner. 
All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today's guest is Noah Galloway. Uh, many of you guys actually may know him because he's he's made a name for himself uh, in numerous different arenas these days. But super excited to have you on the show, brother. It's already been a blast just talking to you pr prior to us kicking this off. And you have an amazing beard. So this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me on. I'm excited about this. <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we always start the show off with really intense questions and it's called the manly round. So you haven't been a man yet until you pass through this rite of passage. Are you ready for it? So if I don't pass it, oh, is it, does the interview just end? Is it, it I, does. Is it we got we got we got a uh we got a uh kidnapping team right side outside your house and they're just yeah, taking you away it. they're not yeah. they won't harm the family they're just gonna grab you and take you off <laughs> yep. me and my man card <laughs> yep <laughs> all right brother your first question is what is your spirit animal and why my spirit animal i would have to go with an you know it's either my wife and I have talked about this. I'm sitting here with this African painting behind me. Yeah. <laughs> it's either, uh, you know, a lion or an elephant, actually. Mm. Uh, and actually, I'm going to go with the elephant. The elephant is a very large and intimidating, but can be a very gentle and a very intelligent animal. And mm -hmm. uh, it's very, it's all about the family, takes mm -hmm. care of the family. I was in Africa one time with my sister, and we stopped somewhere and there was a watering hole and there was all these elephants came out. Well, then they walked past us and the guides like, don't move. You know, they can be very protective. And the oldest female walked between uh, stayed between us and the bay and the younger elephants and mm. literally looked at us and watched us as everybody walked by. You know what I mean? And I was just yeah. it was very cool because they are very protective, very loving and very intelligent animals they are dude and their memory is stupid crazy like they trek for freaking miles off their yes. just memory it's yeah, nuts. They, have the, they call them like an elephant highway or something where she's all these pastures you know and i'm glad you said that random fact do you know why the saying is a memory like an elephant where that came from no i don't Enlighten so me. A, long, a long time ago you know, when you had the, the circuses that would travel, all that, the elephants as babies would be tied to a stake and they couldn't pull it up. Well, then they mm -hmm. grow up and that elephant could walk right off. That stake's not going to stop them, but they remember that they couldn't when they were younger. So they stay there. So that's what they talk about the memory of an elephant. Oh, fascinating. That is really cool. I mean, I haven't fact-checked that. I'm pretty sure that is accurate. <laughs> oh, my, God damn it. We're going to get fact-checked, and I'm going to get pulled off fucking Apple. Thanks, Noah. I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> We're, you know, worst guest ever. He got us banned from fucking Apple because he, we got fact-checked. <laughs> I love it. I love, the, I love the elephant. No one's had that on the show yet, I don't think. So you are the first after 280-some-odd episodes, brother. So that's a... Yeah. <laughs> Score one. <laughs> yeah. What's the next All question? <laughs> your next question is... All right. No matter where you are in the world, if you're surrounded by just a million people right around you and this song comes on, what song is it that you have to start singing aloud with? Doesn't matter who's around. 
Um, if it comes on, I'm going to sing it. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a song called, it's, uh, I don't know the name of it, but the lyrics are, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. <laughs> it's fantastic. Life in plastic. You know, I, <laughs> what's that from like the 90s? It's it was so, like early 2000s. Yeah, late 90s. Yeah. yeah. It was such a goofy song and I know it. And I'll tell you what I love about it. There used to be this, this dive bar that I'd go hang out at late at night. And it was just rough. And they had those one of those jukeboxes that you have an Apple, like you you do it from your phone. Touch uh -huh. tunes, that's what it is. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I would, when I would leave, or if I drove by and there were people there, I would play that song. Because <laughs> no oh. one in there, they're like, who played this? You know, and then it got to where they're like, Noah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really good. And I, I honestly challenge anybody that grew up during that time to not sing that song. Like yeah. it's, it, you, you can't not do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, bro. I love that one. All right. Your last question. I think you might actually have a really good one for this. So I can't wait to hear it. You, so in this, in this hypothesis, you can time travel. So it can be somebody present or somebody you can time travel to, but it has to be somebody that's kind of, that's relatively well-known. So most people would know who they are. If you could prank one person, who would it be? And only if you know it, you can throw in whatever the prank would be. If you know what that would, what you got in mind. Oh, I don't know. That's a tough one. You can, can just go with the person. You can just go with the person. If you, if you're not a, if you don't have a, a fresh prank on the brain. I don't, I'm not, I, a person, any time in history, prank so i'm trying to think i think my head's trying to wrap around what would either be the funniest that would be a prank for that particular person or what lesson would they learn I, man that is I, I think you got me stumped on that one <laughs> you know i'll tell you the first person that came to my mind though when you said living or dead my first thought was elvis presley and i don't know what i'd prank him with because then oh, you have man. to say, is it young Elvis or is it old fat Elvis? <laughs> It'd be kind of cruel. The old Elvis obviously had a weak heart. Would you want to prank him? You don't want to go down in history. As right. You don't want to be that. Don't be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and does the young Elvis have a sense of humor? I don't know. Well, I, you know, that's the funny thing with the prank. It's like you can, it's one of two ways, either somebody who's going to handle it really well, or someone, you know, is going to get really pissed off because yeah, either way, it's funny. It. <laughs> handle it. Yeah. What kind of examples have you had or what, if the question was that, let me ask you the question just because that one stumped me. What's yours? Oh man. I would probably put like sugar in uh, Chris Pratt's John Deere. Cause he's a big country dude and like yeah. he's out on a farm and I think he'd handle that prank really well. Um, and he'd be really funny. And I actually just like him cause he's, he seems like a really cool dude. That would be one of my ones, but I have. But you would destroy ones. his John Deere. Well, we would have like another one waiting for him. We just, <laughs> he can afford it. He can afford it. He's okay. He just go get like one of his other 10 John Deere's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, that would be something. But no, I've got I've had people like want to prank Jesus, uh, like 
you know, they wanted to prank Jesus. We had somebody want to prank uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, try to get him to laugh because he was so stoic. Uh, uh, they they threw in potentially using a water gun, but I think that hits too close to home with how he, <laughs> yeah. how he left. <laughs> I was like, bro, I was like, that one might be too close to home for him. Yeah. <laughs> with how he left this world. Oh, man. Well, you did well, Noah. I'm, I'm really proud of you. We won't, I'll call off the uh, squad that's outside. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, brother, this is, it's already been a lot of fun talking to you, but, um, you know, a lot of your story is obviously where the, the trauma you went through in war and coming back from that. And, you know, part of your big message is the no excuse mantra. That, that's what you use, you've used in your life. One of the things that I find, especially with people uh, from high octane environments, so military, fire, rescue, um, police officers, all those things, they have a really hard time transitioning kind of into like normal life. And so I, I wanted to have you kind of share a little bit about maybe what helped you transition or what you've seen that you've helped people with to transition to kind of come out from those high octane lives, realize that they don't have to be hyper vigilant and they can live in happiness. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. There was a huge struggle with that transition and there were so many different things that caused that. So mine, you know, my second appointment to Iraq, hit by roadside bomb, woke up Christmas day, had lost my left arm and my left leg and then all these other injuries. And it was, it, it, it sent me into in a really dark place. And I always tell people that, yes, the injury, losing two limbs, traumatic, you know, I'm never going to forget that. I'm, you know, yeah. if I could have anything back, it would be those. Let's not yeah. forget, but you move on. And the one thing that I struggled with the most was, I think, the moving on part at first. Mm. And it was actually the military that I felt like I lost. Because I woke mm. up, I, I loved my job as an yeah. infantryman. I woke up one day in a hospital and that was done. You know, it, I, it was a unique time. I was, I did have an opportunity to stay in the military if I wanted to. That didn't happen in the past, but I knew I wouldn't have the same job. So mm -hmm. I got out. And I, I always, I found that once I started to look at different things in life and, and see where I was going, it took several years of depression that I went through. So it wasn't overnight, but I started to notice that there was not just uh, military first responders, but NFL players actually have a high suicide rate. And if you take a guy who played football from the age of eight years old until they were Hey, let's say 38. That's a long time to have still been in the in yeah. NFL. And then it's done. You know, you could say, well, now they've made a ton of money. They've got it all. But money, as much as we love it and love to buy things with it, it does not create happiness. And if we don't know what we're yeah. going in life, we don't know what we're doing. And too mm -hmm. many of us live in the past. There's a, a saying that I, I, this whole, you remember the show Married with Children? No, oh, yeah, I loved it, man. I think now it's on Hulu for the younger people watching. If you've ever, it's on Hulu. But <laughs> oh, we're fucking Al dating Bundy, ourselves with this. Know, yeah. <laughs> Al Bundy's character 
was, you know, the comedy in it was he's miserable. He's not happy with his family, not happy with his life. He's a shoe salesman. But the only time he gets excited is when he talks about scoring four touchdowns in a single football game in high school. And he gets really excited. He talks about it. Well, that is what I call the Al Bundy effect. He Mm -hmm. lives in the past. He has no future. He has no present. So he's miserable. And too often, those of us that have had, you know, overly exciting lives early on in life, you know, in our early 20s, we're still young. We're still developing. And we've experienced a lot of life. It's hard to move past that. Now, I always tell people, I am proud of my military service, that American flag on my shoulder, wearing the uniform, the men I served with. But that was a chapter in my life. And I've moved several chapters past that since. And too often people hang in that world and they don't move forward. And the problem is, is because they haven't found where they're going in life now. My oldest son is 17, will be 18 in January. And I took him to talk to some recruiters. And I told him, I was like, there's a lot of options out there in jobs, different branches. He doesn't have to go in the military. I just told him this is an option that will set you up if you're happy with it. But I told him that if you do find a job, if you only do four years in the military, are you going to be four years ahead or four years behind? So think about it. That's where a lot of guys mess up. They take a job that after four years, they get out and they're starting all over. And that's where the problem is. When you think about uh, men and women in the military going back to school and there being a disconnect, it's not that much. The disconnect is a difference in age. You know what I mean? They that's four or five years is a big jump. And then they're starting all over and they don't know where they're going. And that's where the struggle, I think that I personally think that the biggest issue is, is getting these men and women to find their new, like you can read it in any book, their why, you know, mm-hmm. where we're going in life. And I think that that's the biggest struggle. That's what it was for me and uh, men and women I've worked with uh, a lot of times. I mean, there's all different variables that go into it. You know, but for me, that's what I think the biggest difference is, is trying to make sure people find where they're going in life. When we don't have direction, we are lost. Well, like you're, what's amazing about your story is that you weren't just in the military and then you got blown up by an IED. You were in the military and actually really loved it. Like you actually (laughs) enjoyed it. And so like for, when I look at your story, I'm like, fuck, man, that would be like really hard. Cause not only did you get taken out by wounds to be pulled off the line, but then it was also, you were, you were kind of removed from doing the job and it was a job you loved. I, but before I got injured, I had almost a year prior had done the physical taking the pretext, everything I wanted to go to selection. I wanted to go to special yeah. forces. I wanted to do all these things. And they came to get me on that, this bad deployment. We're in the triangle of death. It's we're taking a beating. And they said, Galloway, pack your stuff. You've got selection. And I was like, I'm not leaving a deployment for a school. And they looked at me like I was an idiot. I, and I made the right decision. The men I served with, I wasn't going to just say, well, sorry, guys, I got to go to a school now. No, it was yeah. something that in my mind I do later after this deployment, but it never came. And that really, yeah, I loved being in. I loved my mm-hmm. job. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. And that's, and that's where I think for me, the, the question and why I feel like you're such a, a great 
sort resource for this to, to help people find that purpose again, after they transition out of whatever high octane job they're in mm -hmm. is what is it that helped you redefine yourself and your purpose after you, you got pulled out of the military due to injuries. And then obviously just, you know, I know you could have stayed in, but it will, obviously you weren't going to be at your highest potential to be there. So you chose to get out. What was it that helped you redefine that purpose for yourself? Well, there was a lot, like, you know, I mentioned it took like five years for me to get through my mental depression because I didn't know, I didn't know what I, to do, you know? And then I started thinking, well, what do I enjoy? And I'm like, oh, I missed an arm and a leg. I can't do that. You know, just everything was negative, negative, negative. And actually it was, I walked into the living room one day and my three kids were on the couch. They were real young at the time. They were watching cartoons. And a thought hit me like a ton of bricks. I realized that to my two boys, I'm showing them what a man is. And that's what they're going to become one day. And my, to my daughter, I'm showing her how a man's supposed to act. And that's what she's going to look for one day. And who I was, was nobody I wanted my boys to be, my daughter to find. And I wasn't happy with that. Now, it didn't mm. fix everything, but it stayed in my mind. I still messed up, still made mistakes. But every time I screwed up and fell flat on my face, it was the thought of my three children that motivated me to get up and do more. Now, I know not everyone has children, but for me, my children have been my motivation to be the best person I can be. You know, it, even in business now, if, if, if a, a question comes up, you know, if I want to be part of something, if I want to help this organization or give a speech there, I'm like, okay, well, let's look at who they are, what's going on, what they want from me. And also if my children are there, what lesson will it teach them? You know, and, and you know, how will this affect them in life? And if either one of those are negative, well, then I don't do it. And I've turned mm -hmm. down a lot of good things because my children are more important. Uh, so, and that's, that's who I am. And that's what, how I define myself as a man is trying to be, you know, the best husband, the best father, you know, and even the best brother and, and son I can be in my family. And I feel like in leadership and in life, everything starts in the middle, like dropping a pebble in the water and all the ripples just slowly roll out. And it just, it makes everything in life so much easier. So my drive became less, you know, I'll be honest, my time in the military was actually, it was for me. When 9-11 happened, I was in college. I wanted to go to war. Yeah. So I went, didn't matter who, who it was with, where we were going. It's like, all right, let's do this. So it was actually very selfish. Mm. That pays off. You know, the country would need some selfish soldiers to go out there and be badasses. Sure. So whatever. But I was leading my life in a very selfish way. And now I have I try to make sure everything revolves around my family and who I am and what that reflects of. And do you feel that's led you like to uh, fulfilling, I guess, career? Because you've done a lot of amazing stuff. Um, and I don't know if it's just because you're a badass, strong, mentally strong dude who can endure a lot or if it's because you actually like truly love it, you know, and, and that is that became your purpose after you settled in with understanding that your family was first. Like, what was is that true or is that kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, some of it was empty? Yeah, no, I, you know, well, there's a lot of things that, that helped me, my family being number one. And then 
I do. I had a platoon sergeant one time that was like, like he wanted me to go, you know, to different school. All the, I wanted to do him too. He's like, no, you know, he was a ranger instructor. He was like, you love this stuff. He was like, you know, where it's mostly a suck fest, you enjoy it. You know, you have an incredible personality. Everybody likes being around you because I, I joke around. So it was like, all oh, that was great. And when I got injured and I realized when I got back into fitness and I started running like off-road course races and all these, you know, I did a, a 58 hour death race one time. Like it was all just, I like pushing myself and challenging myself. Uh, yeah. But the heart of everything revolved then and now around my family. Mm. And, you know, that has really given me purpose and it's easy. Yeah. There are things that, you know, I hope come up in work that will be beneficiary. You know, my family would benefit and we would make more money, but if it happens great, if it doesn't, that's okay. You know, we have all these other things going on and everything revolves around the kids. And for me, I think that that is the main component, you know, and they found that a lot of injured veterans who have done well, have a close family tie. You know, I have three sisters and my parents are, I'm, I'm grateful enough. My parents are still around <clears throat> and they were there for me. And uh, having that close family connection has really benefited me in, in all my endeavors through all my struggles. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. And I, and I think there's a lot of men that would, would say similar stuff, but I see, I see men say that and then they sacrifice their happiness for it. And so where, where does that line become for guys where it's like, am I sacrificing my happiness um, to, to just centralize around one piece or am I incorporating my happiness and that piece? Like, where is that? Do you, does that make sense? I think it does. But for me, I mean, I think I know where you're going with it, but for me, that is my happiness. Like I, I, I found what made me happy. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. Like what makes me happy isn't going to make you happy and vice versa. But right. like, I am really like, I have my kid, like I have my 17 year old son or my 14 year old son, you know, they, they work hard, play sports, you know, they're boys. Right. They won't have, I, it doesn't matter if I'm on the phone with them and they're with their friends. We say, I love you. You know what I mean? We got off the phone. They don't hesitate. There's no, well, I mean, I'm around my friend. No, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's how me, my daughter, same way. Like we're just, we are in it. And me and my wife have a baby due in November. And that baby is going to grow up in this same blend of, of kids and, and it's in family and it's going to be incredible. And I, you know, I come from a family of military and teachers mm. and, you know, in one aspect, one extreme to the other, but in reality, we're a family of servants. That's what the military, that's what first responders, like that's what we are. We want, we were willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. Uh, teachers, they dedicate their lives. They don't make money. They don't get no fame. No. And they do think they take care of our children. They, they educate, they enlighten. And to come from a family of that, I could have easily went in either direction. And it ended up being military. And then from that, I am this family man and I love to work with children. Just yeah. earlier today, my wife and I stopped by this place that she enjoys to go to this coffee shop and they have all these different things going on. And there was a little girl there, a four-year-old little girl that was just outgoing. She's like, well, what's, uh, why is your leg different? 
you know, because I got a prosthetic leg. Of course, I said, why? Because it's hairy, and I point to my other one. <laughs> and she thought it was funny. Then we talked about my leg. We talked about my arm, and she thought it was squishy. So she wanted to squeeze my nub, you know, and it was so incredible. And, I, you know, I love doing that. I love interacting with children and, and, and telling them my story. You know, each, mm. each child is different in how you tell it. I don't go into detail about war and getting blown up to a four-year-old, but I will with a sixth grader. You know, a sixth grader understands those things and you get high school and then all that. So I love that side of things. And for me to really answer your question, it is my happiness I found in embracing who I am and and just making sure that I'm thinking of my family first and just everything else has just been icing on the cake. Yeah. Truly has. I love it because I see the genuine in that response from you, which is beautiful because like I said, I hear from guys, but then you see like kind of some hollowness in them and you're like, bro, like, where was that line for you? And, but for you, there's, it's a genuine, like you have a ton of joy coming out of you talking that way. And so that's beautiful to see. So I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing that, that answer to it. Cause that that's very helpful. I think for a lot of guys to hear it the way that you have said it, and then to see it the way that you, I mean, they're going to see your, your smiling face. They're going to see the joy in your body language. Like it means a lot for guys to see that. You know, I, as you were, you know, I thank you for saying that. And as you were saying that, I, I realized, you know, here it is, we're, we're talking about men, masculinity. There are things that men innately want to do. You know, we we're boys, we're destructive. You know, we want to, you know, then we want to, there's all kinds of things we want to do. And, but, you know, there's also, if you think about it, we are designed to be fathers. Mm. You know, there's, you don't have, we don't always have to compare men being men to being aggressive and, you know, and all that, because we do have that in us, but there's also this side of us that wants to care for our family, wants to provide for our family, wants to be the leader to our children. And, you know, and I, sometimes I think that we get, distracted by that because we do we want to hyper focus on you know to be a man you have to well also there's a soft side you know what I mean yeah. when you have that first time you hold that baby of yours and you're like I got to take care of this I got to take care of myself so I can take care of this child mm. hey that's a soft side that a man has to have and we all have that in us mm. yeah did you, do you, you know what? I'm going to write that down. That was, good. <laughs> that was beautiful, bro. And I, I actually want to elaborate on that is, is did you, do you feel you found that softer side after your injury or before, yeah. or did you feel it was there before already? You I know, mean, it I probably was, was I, there. I was that, I was thinking about this the other day. I was the kid that, yeah, I, as a, as a younger child, I was, hyperactive I was emotional you know what I mean I would let things bother me mm. and so then at a certain age I wanted to be tougher you know what I mean mm. and I, my mom was actually of my family my mom is the one that is just sweet little woman but can be stone cold I was like <laughs> 11 I hurt myself I was bleeding I was crying and my mom's response was well some people handle pain better than others it's like <laughs> what it says that to a child you know, so, <laughs> so dang mom. Yeah. So there was a blend of that and me wanting. So then there was this phase, this time in life where I just tried to be as tough as I could, mm. you know, to be the image of what, 
you know, the side of what we think of man as being super tough and, and stoic and nothing else. But there's a whole other side to it. That's just a piece of the puzzle. And I had to go through a time in life of living that life. And then, yeah, being injured and it, it, it changed all that. And then being a father, you know, I had my first son was born uh, when I was in the military. And mm -hmm. it did change it changed a little. My second deployment was much harder because of that. But mm -hmm. I think it wasn't until I was injured and then had two more children and then started spending more time with my kids that I realized, you know what, this is the path I needed to go down. Because the path I was heading on was, I was probably not going to spend that much time with the kids. You know, that's a job that's really good when you don't have that family life. And right. who I am as a person now like as much as I'd love to wake up and have my arm and leg again and be in the military, I'm not that young, you know, specialist, young sergeant anymore. I'm not, I, I think about the kids. I, you know, I, I have to take care of myself and try to, the longevity of, of wanting to be here for my kids. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, brother. It's, it's incredibly important. And yeah, I could see where, obviously that's going to shift in, in a man's life when you have something that is completely reliant on you to survive, especially when they're young. It's yeah. like, no, nah, bro. I, like I gotta be here. Like there's, there's really no choice. Yeah. Um, but you, you talked about opening that softer side for guys. And I thought that was also a beautiful comment. And I'd love to like, kind of open that door a little more because how we see a lot of guys and we see these like false alphas who want to peacock out and act like they're, you know, Clint Eastwood and an old Western, but in reality, a lot of them are struggling with their own emotions, struggling with who they are. How can we, you and I sit here and give permission to these guys or give them maybe a tool on how to maybe even find that softer side in them so they can feel it's okay to expose that to other people? Well, you know, I think that, <clears throat> I think that too often we as men don't look at the entire picture of what it is to be a man mm, you know yeah. i mean we're we all like to to look you know like even if we like to to pretend you don't look you don't think i stand in front of the mirror of this beard and, and point i'm like i'm like a viking like, like <laughs> <laughs> i'm leonidas know? yeah you know like oh the lighting and now with my shirt <laughs> off i look great you know <laughs> you know we have that but then there's nothing wrong with it all has to come full circle. There's a whole bunch of that fits into this package of being a man. Yeah. You know, a man has a tough side, you know, has a soft side, you know, it all counterbalances. And I think that, yeah, a lot of times when we think about those guys that, you know, are peacocking, you know, they, they want, they don't look like nothing is going to break them. You know what? Yeah. They're made. They, they either, there's nothing wrong with tapping into that softer side because that tough side cannot exist without having the softer side. And there has to be counterbalance. And then what I found after my injury and during my depression was I had more anger when I suppressed my sadness. Mm. You know, and yeah, not every man's comfortable crying out in public. You know, I always tell, I'm not telling people to go out and just stand in the middle of, you know, Main Street and just start bawling. That will be kind of awkward for a lot of people. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having an emotional side. I don't, I don't fear my kids seeing it, mm. uh, you know, whatever it is now, you know, 
And sometimes, like, I've had my moments where I felt like there's something inside. I've just sat in the shower and thought, you know, is this emotion that I need to get out? What is it? And I think that that's what we have to learn about ourselves. And, and you don't want to be angry all the time. Nothing good comes from that. You know, you'd rather just be the guy who's, who's tough, has a cool beard, and is happy. That's what I want to be because it feels better. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's a, a good point to that in what you said with the awareness piece, like you're asking, you're, like you'll sit in the shower and you'll ask yourself the questions. I think that's a piece that guys are missing. They, they don't ask themselves the question of, of what's going on inside, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. I think we're afraid of it. Oh, look, I, I am just as guilty. I have this amazing woman that is my wife that is this high-end yoga instructor, whole holistic life. She does retreats all over the world. I mean, she's amazing. You know how often I do yoga? I should, if anything, be doing, I can't even like, she wants to start doing videos of just of, of stretching because I, my foot's getting further and further away. I can't reach it when I'm putting my shoes and socks on. Yours um, and mine both. Yeah, and, and that's horrible. There's no reasoning in that. Being like, I love, I'm a guy that likes to lift. I've always wanted, I like mm -hmm. being bigger but there's nothing wrong with stretching and being a little more loose and taking care of myself internally and emotionally. And she's that. And sometimes we'll butt heads because I want to try to be a man. Men don't do that. Yes, they do. You know what I mean? And I even know that when I get into an, an argument, I'm like, ah, well, I guess I, I do need to do that. Cause then at the same time, I'm trying to, my 14 year old works out with me all the time. We're big into fitness and I've, all the time I'm telling him, I'm like, you know, we should start doing yoga with Amanda. We, we would benefit from it. So it's like I'm, I'm trying to teach him, but I haven't quite gotten it in my head yet. Or I'm waiting for him to say, let's do it together. So Man. I'll start doing it. So I understand that as, yeah. a, as a guy, you know, that you some things you will hold back from. But then there is this vulnerability to just finally saying, you know what, I'm going to do it and I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, I'm going to take care of myself and be the the man, the all around man that I can be. So, yeah, I do have a softer side, but then I'm no different than everyone else. There's things that parts of the system I try to fight. Like, no, I don't want it, you know, but it's there and there's nothing wrong with it. Oh, hell yeah, man. I do the same thing. I think it's just, it, you know, the change for me is the fact that like I started to question it as you do when that comes up. And I think that allows for a little bit more of like movement in the direction of, oh yeah, I can, I can do that because, you know, when I ask myself the question of why not, I start that, to find out that I'm really just hiding in an insecurity. You know what? That is amazing. What you just said to ask yourself, what's the reason why not? Because yeah. too often we we can come up with reasons why we can't do it right then or whatever. But if you really sit down and think, well, why can't I do it? Or yeah. what's holding me back? What's it going to hurt? You know, there's a lot of things that we could do if we ask that question. I love that. I love it. Dude, I, when I ask myself, why not? It's like, I always find I'm making some bullshit excuse up. And then yep. typically it's like, well, then just take action. And that ends up leading me down a path of at least putting my foot forward. And then if it's a real reason why I'm not doing it, I find it out. And then it's like, oh, there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. Cause that's my, why not? Yep. You yep. know, I love but it. I, I love this. And, I, and I, I, you've mentioned that you went down, obviously, and understandably down the depression hole for a while after your injury. And in that time, 
you know, this is another thing, you know, you and I both know, and I'm sure you know, the numbers like veteran suicide and men's suicide in general, it's very high. Um, and I think a lot of it's because men can't say the word depression or don't know how to admit maybe that's a path that they're down. Like, did you immediately be like, oh, I'm depressed? Or was it like, yeah, okay. So like diving into that a little bit, when when did that actually come out of your mouth? And like, how did that even fucking, like, how did that feel to say yeah. it? So it was, it was interesting. So I didn't realize the depression I was in until I was almost on my way out of it which wow. is, I think I got lucky because I mean, so that's not where you want, you don't want to find out down the road, but I didn't understand it when I was in it. I was in denial. You know, I, I ended up doing the research and all these different phases and the denial phase is what I spent most of my time in. I tried to hide it from everyone else, tried to hide it from myself and just was just a loose cannon all over the place. And it tries to creep up. Like my, yeah, like I, I, if it weren't for my wife and kids, oh my God, I don't know. I am an idiot on my own. You know what I mean? And in that depression, I felt alone. And so I had, I was, there was no, uh, I was not taking care of myself. And it wasn't until I came out of it that I saw it, how bad it was. And as I, you know, I'm not to do a shameless plug, but I, I wrote a book, Living With No Excuses. And in the book, I talk in depth of my depression and struggles. Like I am brutally honest. Uh, in fact, it terrified me when the book hit the shelf. So I thought, well, everybody's going to hate me now that reads it because it looks really bad. But I felt it was important to share this struggle that I went through and how it affected me. And as I did the book and I had to relive all of that, oh, it was tough because I did. I had to go back and look at who I'd been as a person. And that alone was, if you, you know, I would challenge people to, don't do it too often. You just make yourself even more depressed, but sit and, and think about what you've done in the past, things that you weren't happy with, what could you've done differently? And what are you going to do now in the future? If those things come up again, because I'll tell you now I'm the kind of person that I do not hesitate to go to mental health, you know, you know, once or twice a year, I'll go and, and go like, in fact, I was just at mental health, went for several weeks and the last time I was there, she was like, do you think you should be here? And I was like, are you already trying to get rid of me? <laughs> She's like, no. She's like, I love it. I love our conversations. She said, but I feel like you're very comfortable with who you are and, and you figured a lot of things out. And I said, well, I have. I said, the main reason I am here is to make sure I'm doing well and to be that leader for my family, that it's okay. You don't have to be sick to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Checkups. Those of us that are in fitness know that going to a doctor to make sure your cholesterol, this, you know, your blood pressure, everything's good. Well, hey, the most complicated organ in our body is right here and we can't overlook that. And then, mm -hmm. like you said, men are afraid to talk about depression or call it depression. I think that if we quit making it this scary thing and it's just something that we can all experience and go through, some people go through depression that just is a couple of days of just kind of just laying around, re, you know, just trying to figure out where they're going and they come out of it. And other people, it sucks them down to this hole and it's harder to get out of. And I think that, you know, knowing the signs of what we can see in ourselves and our friends of what depression is, is what I'm the kind of person that if I get really depressed, you won't see it. I can go out 
and mingle and be happy with everyone, but I want to lay in my bed. I want to close the curtains and just lay around. And at first it's like, I'm just really tired. Then after a, a while, I was like, okay, wait a minute, that's a lot of sleep. <laughs> you know. So <laughs> you have to adjust to that. And I think that we need to quit looking at depression like a sickness and see it as a reality that we all face. And we all have different ways of taking care of it. And there's nothing wrong if you have to go see a specialist or if there is, sometimes talking about it helps. Sometimes, you know, I don't want to go too much into medicine. My wife gets all upset. She's like, people are overdiagnosed. You know, yes. You know what I mean? But there's a fine line. You know what I mean? There are things that are going on. So I'm not a doctor. I won't get into that. But I do think that we need to quit looking at it like it's a scary monster. It's a part of our life. Mm -hmm. I, I love how you put the brain too. It's the most complex organ that we have. And you're right. We pay little attention to brain health, even like people very, they don't even understand in a lot of ways how to take care of your brain. Like even the fact of having two servings of greens, the way that your brain will age slower because of that, people don't even understand that. And it's like, okay, that's a simple, that's just a simple thing to keep your yeah. brain functioning at a high level and awareness and everything else. And that's just having two, two servings of greens a day anyways, but you're right. That complex organ, we're not taking care of. And when it comes to things like depression, especially with men or just sadness, it's an emotion we've already been told to shut down, right? Sadness in general, yep. we can't show it. And then number two, when it gets to the severity of depression, where we're really in, in a struggle, in a fight with that, and we don't want to go and seek help because of the fact that it's been deemed incredibly bad for a man to say he's depressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I hate that, you know, no one should be ashamed to admit uh, that we go through things. I mean, that's, that's, that's life, you know, what that's, you know, one of the many things that separates us from, you know, animals, like they don't have that because they, you know, of course, now I say that and we find out there's studies that they the dogs have depression. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but the more highly intelligent you are, you're going to have things yeah. bother you. That's yeah. what it is, you know? And yeah. another fun fact, another fun fact, the brain is the only organ that named itself. Think about that one. Oh, wow. That is true. <laughs> that is true. You're welcome. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Everybody listening, feel free to use that one. Just make sure you tag <laughs> Noah on your uh, comment. <laughs> no, and... And so when you were, um, you talked about being stuck in denial. And I think that's where I would find probably a lot of guys are stuck in denial of that. What's maybe um, a tip that you have for them to possibly recognize it? And then what may have helped you significantly to, to like name it and then to move out of it? Um, you know, when it comes to when it's like, how do you tell somebody, you know, to take care of something they don't know about? Well, the only way to do that is to get checked up from time to time. Mm. Have that annual checkup. You know, you get your body checked out. You get your brain. Make sure everything's working. If you owned a Ferrari, I don't own a Ferrari. I don't, do you own a Ferrari? No, I wouldn't. No, okay. But I have, if you a, did, I have an, <laughs> but I have an 88 did, K5 Blazer, so. Well, no, wait a minute. Okay, let's talk about that K5 blazer. All right. 
are you going to just run it hard and see what breaks or do you like to keep up with what's going on so that when you're out driving, it doesn't fall apart when you're several hundred miles down the road? Yeah, <laughs> you're going to keep course. it up and running. You're going to pay attention. Yeah. Is there any leaks? You know what I mean? Is anything going on? You know, when it cranks, is it overheating? You know, these are all these different things. The car is not going to tell you what's wrong with it. You have to find it. And I think that when it comes to life, everybody, every man and woman out there should just have an annual checkup on their body and their mind to make sure everything's going well. Because like I said, my denial, I knew something. I wasn't sure what was going on with me. You know, I didn't know I was depressed. I didn't know I didn't understand depression. But when I say I didn't know it till later, it's because someone directed me in the right direction to mm. get help. And then I was able to see more of, oh, my God, where I was and where I was going. And, and it was this bad place. So I think that in order for all of us, whether you feel it or know it's there, I would encourage everyone to go get a checkup, you know, a mental health checkup, just like I'd encourage everyone to go to the doctor, you know, make sure everything's working right inside. So that all falls together because I'm a true believer in health and fitness and health and fitness starts from the top of the head to the bottom of the toes. You know, I mean, you have to take care mm -hmm. of all of it. You can't neglect one part of it just because you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't take off in a fancy Ferrari or in an 88 K5 Blazer without knowing what was going on. Nope, absolutely not. And the funny thing is the 88 won't tell you something's wrong. You definitely have to keep an eye out. And <laughs> There's always it. something. Something's like, will you replace one thing? Something else is going to break. <laughs> Cause you got, you got a step side, right? You got one of yep. those, uh, what year is that? Yeah, I got, I, it's an 84 K 10, uh, the pickup, the step side. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've blown a lot of money on vehicles. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I feel like I could give a lesson on what not to do with money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Especially when it comes to older cars. <laughs> oh, oh, and I just, yesterday, a buddy of mine who's owned several cars, he's this big car guy. He's like, Hey, the hot rod power tours coming through Birmingham. Let's go. It was like a hundred degrees in the middle of a parking lot, but it was cool because there's hundreds of thousands of all these cool cars and I'm such a car guy there's not a car I didn't like it doesn't yeah. matter if it's a 68 Camaro or a 72 Pinto it doesn't matter it's like man how cool is that <laughs> I know I tell a good buddy of mine and I we, we want to go down to one of these auctions and uh it's uh I'm like well Babe, I tell my wife, babe, I, I can't go to the auction unless I got the money to actually buy something because I know I'm going to like a lot of shit there. Yeah, you know, I tell you, the one year I took my oldest son to Barrett Jackson. That's where I want to go. Yeah. Oh, trust me, you won't buy anything. You can't, like, it's so expensive. <laughs> now, you, now, there's the auctions outside, like, there's all these little auctions going on. So I was like, oh, uh, I can buy these cars. You know, they're going for like eight grand. But inside, Oh no, you're just there to watch, you know? <laughs> but it's worth it. And I'll tell you what's funny is I'm actually an apprentice now to be an auctioneer. Oh, wow. That's yeah, funny. because you know what? And I, I've used it in a, a speeches recently. To me, life, you should never stop. You know, if mm -hmm. I've learned anything from being injured is that things happen and you adjust and you keep moving. You know, it's easier said than done sometimes. But right now, because of COVID, things have changed for me. 
They're still going good, but not like they were. And I'm like, well, what else am I interested in? Cars, my friend's an auctioneer. Let's do that. So I am learning to be an auctioneer just to add that to the my resume. Well, it's actually a perfect segue because that's <laughs> hilarious. And you're a man of many talents. But number two, I had a question about what was like one of what was your most challenging event out of all the things that you've done with dancing in the star dancing with the stars and that stuff. Um, what was the most challenging event for you that you've encountered? Hmm. I mean, it, dancing with the stars wasn't easy. I don't know how to dance. Like <laughs> it honestly, doesn't I look easy. <laughs> I don't like to dance. People now, Oh, you see so you dance. I was like, no, I don't dance. I guess it's over. When the show stopped, I stopped dancing. You know, I don't, I didn't think I'd last that long on the show. I didn't want to be on the show the entire time. In fact, it was, it wasn't until about halfway through five weeks of the 10 weeks, people started reaching out to me, veterans, you know, all these different people, family members of veterans, people with disabilities. And I realized that it was bigger than me just being on a show, a reality show. Oh, people wow. were inspired. So I had told my dance partner, Shauna Burgess, I was like, I don't know how long we're going to be on this show, but it's obvious we have to push it every week. Like, you know, as corny as it can be, we have to do it. Cause I realized that they per people were connecting to it. They were inspired. So, and I, and I love that. I love that about my life, everything I do, the people that reach out, that's what motivates me to keep pushing myself and to stay in shape. And so that show was difficult. I did not enjoy the dancing. I'm thankful I did it. I love the people there. You know, every time I say I didn't like it, I don't watch the show. The people on the, the my dance partner, Sharna Burgess, all the other dancers, executive producer, they all know that's I'm not their demographic, you know? Right. And they know that that's, you know, I, I'm not a big dancer, but I'm thankful that I was part of it. They were all good to me. I stay in contact with them because that was a part of my life that I got to connect with a lot of people and mm. it was hard. And I'm, I'm really glad I did it. I, I didn't want to do it. I turned yeah. down two other shows before dancing with the stars survivor wanted me. I wanted to do survivor, but I found out you go on that show. There's no contact back home. You get voted off. You stay with the cast and crew. You don't go home. There's oh, still wow. no contact. And my kids were young, and I said, I can't. The kids, I can't do that. Another show yeah. called, called Action Adventure, I turned it down. Dance of the Stars called, wanted to put me in a house in L.A., and I turned. I said, I can't do it. I got three kids here in Alabama, more important than the television show. And they were like, that's fine. We'll send the dancer to you. And I was like, oh, crap. So I ended up doing it because they adjusted to me. I mm. did all my dancing and rehearsing in Alabama and flew back and forth to LA for the live show. That's why wow. I did it, because my kids are a priority. But I am, it made it very difficult, but I am so glad I did it. And that's one of those things. This is a guy, oh, trust me, Survivor would have been a lot cooler, <laughs> you know? Especially for you, like yeah. just your, your enjoyment with that stuff. Yes, but I ended up doing a dancing show, and <laughs> uh, it was different, you know? And, um, but I really enjoyed it. And actually... I say I enjoyed it enough that I have a better appreciation for it now. And mm -hmm. the guys I met, the professional dancers, you can't help but be like, wow, 
I wish I would have learned this at a younger age. I mean, oh, to be a guy and to be able to take a woman and guide her out on the dance floor, like, come on, we can judge male dancers and their sequins, but hey, that's as manly as you want it to be because it is taking control and, and doing, and so there's a, another side to it that opens up a world and that goes back to men realizing that there's a whole bunch of different avenues of going. Now, yeah, I'm not telling every man to go get dancing shoes and go and, and do it. It may not, that may not fit for you, but let's not judge them because mm-hmm. they're, they're doing it. They're getting it done. And each one of us has a place. And I feel like the best way to find where you fit in the world as a man in your masculinity is to also be open up to the softer side of what it is to be mm-hmm. a man. I'm sorry, I rambled on that one, but I had to run with it. I felt like Dude, all that was That important. was great. We got a lot out of that. But I think that the hardest thing I did, yeah, that that stepping out onto a dance floor as someone who is notoriously does not dance. Yeah. <laughs> uh was the biggest challenge I had, and I'm very glad I did it. That was so epic that that rant you had there because it like it actually gave a lot for guys. I think that are listening to the show right now, they're going to be able to be like, Holy crap. Like what you said on top of the fact that the dancing was hard, but the respect for the men doing it. And for the fact that, you know, the, how that is a a form, a a very deep form of masculinity, because, you know, I watch, I watch people dance and I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. And uh, even like line dancing or any of this, you know, these things you are just like, that's impressive to be able to take a woman out to lead her on the floor. And it's, it's graceful. You're, you're showing that softer side and women love that. And at the end of the day, a lot of times for guys, it's all about getting the chicks anyways. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, as you're saying that, I was thinking about when I was a teenager and you'd go right. to, you know, a club or something. I, I kind of just hung back and yeah. remember thinking, I wish I could do what those guys were doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. So good, brother. Well, man, this has been probably one of my favorite episodes. This has been a blast hanging out with you. Um, I want to make sure I get you off here so you can go see your family. But uh, two things. How can people support you? Where can they best find you? And is there anything going on that they can get involved in that you have going on? Oh, well, I'm glad you said so. I have my website, noahgalloway.com. And from there, there's, a, you know, you have a link. You can get my book, Living With No Excuses. I am on social media, certified in all of them. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they, if they're certified, it's me. And there's, I think there's a link on, from the website. But what I'm most proud of right now, my wife did my website. And also there's a link to my charity golf tournament. Last year was mm-hmm. the first year. I'm going to do it every year. It's here in Alabama. But people from wherever can sponsor a whole. What I'm, I want to do is, as an injured veteran, early on, I saw there's a lot of organizations that claim to, to help veterans, and all they did was made money. Mm-hmm. And I was bothered by that. But then I found that there are organizations out there that do incredible things. And so every year, I'm choosing a different organization. doesn't always have to be military, but the first one was Sheepdog Impact Assistance. They're based out of Arkansas. They work with military and first responders, which I love. Mm. Our first responders are a smaller group. They don't yeah. always get that support, you know, you know that, that not just support from people, you know, the blue line, thin blue line. I'm talking about uh, to get together with others that have been where they've been. 
and, and work through things. And Sheepdog Impact Assistance does that. And I love it. So last year, we were able to give them $10,000 because wow. the, the golf tournament isn't for me. It's to raise money for whatever organization we're dealing with. This year is Homes for Our Troops. They build houses for injured veterans all over the country. Yeah. And a lot of people sometimes don't know of them because they don't spend a lot of money self-advertising. They, they trust word of mouth. And they're able to give up to 90 cents on the dollar goes to the veteran in their home. Wow. That's hard for even That's good organizations yeah. to do because there's a lot of overhead. And so this year, the money is going to them. So every year is going to be a different organization. There's a link on my website, uh, noexcusesgolf.com, if you just go to it, or from noahgalloway.com. If you want to get involved, if you want to play, we have a good time. Our golf tournament, we did it last year, and we had fun. One of the holes, you had to play the entire hole with one hand. Oh, everyone loved it. Guys were like, I was cussing you the whole time, but it was great. You know what I mean? And that's what it's all about, having a good time, raising awareness to these different organizations. And so if I can encourage anybody that's interested to go and check that out, please do. I may have to go join you, man. I mean, man, I look I'd love like – to come down to Alabama. And, and where are you? I didn't even get around to asking. Charleston, South Carolina. You said that because you are yeah. 30 miles outside of town. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. I would love for you to come down to Alabama and be in my golf tournament. Oh man, I will. I will take a look at it. I'm gonna have to do that because I love playing golf. I'm just not good at it, but it's uh, you still know what? Fun. <laughs> Most people aren't. I got into golf a couple of years ago, and I kept thinking I had to get to a certain level. And then when I got to where I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm playing as bad as everyone else I know. You know, most people suck at golf. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, that's great, brother. I love your mission to do that and support charities. We'll put all the links in the show notes. So everybody listening, make sure you guys go check all that out. You'll be able to find Noah there. You'll be able to link to the charities. You'll be able to check out the golf tournament. Um, and then your last question, Noah, is what does the art of masculinity mean to you? Uh, the art of masculinity to me is when I think of what I, you know, what a man is and what I want to achieve is a man that is comfortable with who he is, his emotions, you know, uh, you know, just he, he's there for his family, for his friends, a well-rounded person mm. uh, can be the masculine person. You know what? And, and I, I'm not afraid to say it, that masculine person, I say person because I know a lot of tough women mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that leave their family, that do what they need to do. Um, and I, my mom was one of those, you know, just a, a tough woman and, and I have a tough, my father's a tough man as well. You know, I'm not disregarding that. Um, but you know, a person that is comfortable with who they are and can be, can be hard and tough when they need to be, but then also know how to tap into that softer side. Well-rounded. That's what I think masculinity is, is being well-rounded. Mm, beautiful brother. Thank you for giving us your time today and sharing your wisdom with the community. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys.